Lucky you. 36 best holes in golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about golf. Sandy. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) Thanks for joining Mark Frost, The Greatest Writer, Part 2. Country Club was the scene of the Open in 1913. That Open put golf on the front pages of our newspapers for the first time and small wonder. Francis Wiemet, an almost unknown 20-year-old Boston amateur but caddied at the Country Club, fired the shots heard round the world when he defeated Harry Varden and Ted Ray, the great English professionals, in a dramatic playoff. Ladies and gentlemen from the Alternate Shots podcast, we are so so very thrilled to have with us today our special guest, Mark Frost, and uh, Billy and I thank you, Mark, for joining us. There was a great event, getting ahead of this a little bit, after the book came out. Um, in 2012, I think it was, Ken had been notified by um, the Golf Hall of Fame he was going to be admitted that year. The first T organization which ha- has a yearly uh, tournament at Pebble. And they had decided to invite Ken and I as uh, two of the guests of honor for the event. It was a there was a tournament and and the fun part was, the tournament was the first day at Pebble. Big dinner that night. The next day, we recreated the match. And they uh-huh. had brought in Ricky Fowler and Bubba Watson to play Harvey and Ken. It was going to be Freddie Couples and, and uh, Davis Love to play Ben and Byron. And at the last minute... Um, Freddie's back went out, so Nick Watney came in and, and played with them. So the only people who were invited were the people who were at that dinner the night before, all the donors to the first the, the first tee. President Bush was there. He flipped the coin to start it. I was seated at a table with President Bush on my right, Arnie on my left, and Ken over here next to Arnie, it was a star-studded evening. And uh, Jim and I had talked about this before because Arnie and Ken had had uh, a bit of a a dust-up, as you remember, from going all the way back to, I think it was Masters. Ken felt that he'd gotten a favorable ruling by kind of browbeating an official on an embedded ball. may have cost Ken the tournament. The other part of the background of this is Ken was not in great health. And he was going to be inducted to the Hall of Fame in a few months. And uh, uh, Jim and I looked at each other and said, look, they may never be in the same room again for all we know. Let's try to get let's try to get them together. And so we did. And they 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 ended up talking for five, 10 minutes together. And we felt like, okay, you know, we may have helped that a little bit. So the next morning, we all show up seven o'clock in the morning in Cyprus cool, clear, frosty morning. Um, They've all got, the players all show up. Nick Watney, who was sort of playing Hogan, brought his Hogan cap. Davis, I thought, made a good Byron. That was good casting. Um, uh, Bubba actually made a good Harvey, you know, Mm -hmm. as a kind of the happy-go-lucky, anything-for-a-laugh kind of guy, loose as a goose. And Ricky was a very good Ken, you know, kind of 
um, focused, um, serious, and a great iron player. So, you know, we, uh, we'd cast it pretty well, I thought. And the spooky thing about it, and we, we walked the course, I walked with Jim and a couple of other guys, the whole, it went 18. It was almost exactly the same score as the match had been in 56. Wow. Um, the pros ended up uh, winning one up on 17, not 18, which is where it was decided before. Um, the only eagle in the match had been Hogan on, I think it was 10. Um, he holed out from about 95 yards with a pitching wedge. Nick Watney holed out from with a pitching wedge from about 100 yards for an eagle. Wow. <laughs> the only eagle on the match. All four guys in the original birdied 13. All four guys in our match birdied 13. It was spooky. That I mean, spooky. and everybody felt it. Everybody felt it. It was an absolutely magical afternoon. And, and it ended. And Eddie Lowry lost the bet again. <laughs> exactly. Was I'm sure. Ken he... out there? Uh, Ken stayed for the first couple of holes. And then he was he was riding around on a cart. You know, he wasn't he wasn't able to walk it. But um that's a day I'll never forget. I mean it's um, like the day they brought Bobby Jones to Wingfoot and yeah. everybody tried to make the putt that he made in 1929. They said, uh, why don't you give it a shot? I already made that putt. back to Bobby Jones. I feel no one maybe knows Bobby Jones other than some diehards at Augusta National better than you. Maybe how, Sid Matthews. How would you sure. defend if you said Bobby Jones? There's a lot of debate. It's the greatest golfer of all time. Describe how you would defend that. I would I would build the argument that if he wasn't the greatest, and I think there's an argument to say that he was, he was the most important. Um, I, I used the analogy in greatest in the greatest game that um, Francis was like John the Baptist, and Bobby arrived like our Lord and savior in terms of what he did, how he elevated the game. Um, he was inspired by Francis, um, uh, his, his relationship, obviously it, with East Lake and, um, the guy, the caddy who had taught him the Scottish caddy, uh, is a fantastic story. But when it came down to the heat of battle and he was mostly a match play player, um, I, there was nobody better. I mean, you know, we always talk about era versus era, and it's an impossible question to answer. But he had a game that would have lived in any era. Um, he was also an extraordinary human being with English lit major, a, a, a master, a, a master's in um, mechanical engineering, and a law degree. Uh, the most well-rounded person to ever play the game in some ways. Um, and he played it in a tie. And he played it in a suit and tie with, for the most part, whippy shafts. I, I, I mentioned Sid Matthews, who's a, 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 a colorful guy who lives in Atlanta and has written a bunch of books about Jones. He's got a museum of Jones memorabilia that he's collected over a lifetime, which he, which he generously 
shared all, all of it with me. And I went down to visit him and he took me out to a little course, um, very old course in Thomasville, Georgia, Southern Georgia, just over, he lived in Jacksonville, I think. Um, and we played around with two sets of Bobby Jones's clubs, which he owned. Now I had never tried to play with Hickory before. I could barely get the ball off the ground. So the thought that Jones did what he did with these clubs that had a sweet spot smaller than a dime, um, to me, spoke volumes. I mean, to actually have the experience with the clubs in your hands and go, I have no idea how he did this. It's a, it's a completely different swing. His mastery of the mental side of the game, which cost him dearly when he was playing, as you know, the stress that he went under in these tournament weeks, he could lose up to 20 pounds in three days. The flesh melted off him like a, like a candle when he was in the heat of battle. In more ways than one, winning the Grand Slam nearly killed him as it became this consuming event, really for the entire sporting universe at that time, the year that he did it. Um, I think for all those reasons that he was never afraid of anybody. The only guy who could really, you could say, was on the same level as a player, I mean, um, was Hagen. And Hagen had a, a, a different kind of way of going about the game. He was devil may care and um, a, a com complete, it, it couldn't have been more or less chalant, you know, as, as a player, he, <laughs> he was the, he was the, 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 the life of the party. Uh, and we also know that he was also pouring his drinks at the plants a lot as he was getting everybody else loaded before or after a round, but uh, he was no dummy. And, you know, um, Sarazen had started to come along, but wasn't really on the scene yet with the same, uh, the same force. And a lot of his great matches were against other amateur players. Um, and there, there, you know, he had some great matches with those guys, but there, there wasn't any other Titan of the game at that point that as an amateur, he would, he would go against all, nobody approached him. Uh, Francis. Nobody really know, pushed him. He didn't need a push. He, you know, he was so obsessed with perfection and we know what happened at St. Andrews the first time he went over when he quit the game in a, uh, in a kind of um, juvenile fit, as he put it, tore up his scorecard and walked off the course um, to come back and become the embodiment of everything that the game could be um, and the living exemplar of the game's values, which I think he um, he lived to the end of his life. And, and what he did for the game, keeping Augusta going during the Depression, starting the, the Masters, he was really responsible for the 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 next big bang. I mean, if, if what Francis did was the atom bomb, Bobby was the hydrogen bomb and in terms of his impact on the, the development of the sport. So all in, and I know, and I've met Jack and I've spent time with him and he's a, he's an amazing guy and I would put him a very close second. And then I'd put tiger right in that same foursome, certainly. But if you had to play a match tomorrow life or death, I think I'd want Bobby Jones playing for me wow. against anybody.
How did he get hooked up with Alistair McKenzie? Because that was a brilliant combination there. That was done through Marion Hollings, who had um, had this idea for Cyprus, and she had hired McKenzie. She knew him. He he wasn't quite the the titan of golf course design that we think of now. Bobby worked with him, and he was in in many instances a, a kind of creative partner in creating that course um but she was the one who put them together and fostered and she had a hand in it too she was a she was a force in in um northern california golf and and society circles uh and it was her dream really that this how that club got off the ground so um i i think it was just one of those things it was like when everybody came together to make Casablanca, it was greater than the sum of its parts. I have a special fondness for it because I played it a bunch and I, I think its beauty is unmatched, but Cyprus is my favorite course. And if that, you know, the old question, if you had one round left to play, where would it be? That, that would be my answer. It, it means a lot to me personally. And I think it's, it's a great story because it was really also the birth of golf on the West coast. Um, that plus what then happened with Crosby and the starting the clam bake and supporting the Western tour, which was really the start of the PGA tour. So it's in it, you see the, it's the, the chrysalis for what became professional golf today. With, with support from big timers, Crosby was, nobody was bigger. Nobody was bigger. Yeah. Because he had a, he had a broader reach because of his recording career. You know, they were both obviously in, in the movies and on radio and, um, had come out of vaudeville, but um, Crosby had a uh, had a kind of genius. I mean, he similar to Bobby Jones in a way. I mean, he invented magnetic tape recording. You know, he he created the first kind of usable commercial tape for recording his own songs. Um, and nobody was bigger. It wasn't until Elvis and then the Beatles came along that anybody sold more records than Bing Crosby. and Still didn't outsell White Christmas, I don't think, for quite some time. No, no. It's, um, and, you know, you you think about the, the road movies, which I can still watch today and sure. laugh myself sick. Those guys were incredible comedy partners. I mean, there wasn't anything Crosby couldn't do. He was a little, a little bit like Dean Martin in that respect. He didn't look like he was ever working very hard when he was an actor. Same with Dean, but they were fine actors and very truthful actors who gave you the real deal. You know, if you ever watched the country girl with, with Grace Kelly, you know, um, he could, he could really bring it. So yeah, pretty amazing guys. Yeah. They were both, both Bing Crosby and Dean Martin are extremely likable on screen. Yeah. And, and in real life, I got to meet Dean too. And he was not the, 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 the Rue that he, pretended to be on stage he was in private he was uh, a delightful kind of low-key guy i was i had a good friend who was with knew them both very well both dean martin and jerry lewis actually walked into there was a little restaurant dean used to go to on santa monica called carmine's and my friend who who's passed away was a great producer who produced greatest game ever played actually knew Jerry really well and they were doing something together and they walked into Carmine's and Dean and Jerry hadn't seen each other in over a decade. 
and he got to witness. I mean, the minute Jerry saw him, he started tearing up and he talked him into going over and he sat with them for half an hour and listened to their conversation. Dean had lost his, his son uh, who died in a, he was in the Air Force Reserve and his plane had crashed, a thing that he never really recovered from. That was the thing that, that killed Dean. But to be only one step removed from the reunion of Lewis and, and Mark, Martin was pretty cool. So and it makes these guys human to hear these stories. You know, I have a nephew who's a prominent MLB player. I'd never seen the inside of pro baseball until he was at that level. And you forget that these guys have to get up every morning and they they hurt and they've got to push through and they're particularly baseball it's a freaking marathon they've got to play 162 games and and then they go to work and people scream at them yeah you know it's like i i think about okay i'm getting up in the morning i'm working my new book am i going to invite 12 people in to heckle me while i'm writing i mean it's you like, really want to say it that way? Yeah, you can't you can't find a better word for that. What <laughs> you know, where's your thesaurus when you need it? Billy G. King famously said uh, pressure is a privilege. And I think every every great athlete would agree with that if they're up to it. There are very rare individuals who don't seem to feel it. Only a few. I think Nicholas is one of those guys. He yeah, got better. Yeah. Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter was that way. Tom Brady. Um, George uh, Brett. Tiger. Yeah, George Brett. There were guys um, who just didn't care. It only made him focus. Made uh, him better. More. Yeah, made him yeah. better. That's a rare. That's a rare person. What was the story about um, <clears throat> Marilyn Monroe going over to entertain the troops and coming back and telling her husband at the time, Joe DiMaggio? That he'll never know what it's like to stand in front of 50,000 people cheering for you? Yeah. It's like, how well, really? Joe DiMaggio? Yeah, really? Do you know, do you, do you know what my last game? name is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just watched, uh, there's a, a good documentary. I actually wrote a movie about her in the 80s um, based on a book called Goddess by an Irish uh, journalist. That was the first book that told the whole story of her life and her involvement with the Kennedys and um, there's a pretty good documentary called The Mysteries of Marilyn Monroe. Well, they were all yes, ill-fated as, as time has showed us. It was, it's, it's our Anthony and Cleopatra, you know, it's our, it's our great kind of tragic mythology about the, um, the boys of Camelot and the, the golden girl and that all came to grief for all of them. It's, it's an astonishing them. story. Yeah. Well, you've met Palmer. You know, you, you you didn't meet Hogan, or did you? Didn't meet Hogan. But you know enough about Hogan that you know him. You know enough mm -hmm. about Palmer. Is this Ludwig Oberg, the next combination, Ben Hogan, Arnold Palmer? He has the charm, but he has like the near-perfect golf swing, and maybe he's got the ethic, the work ethic. He's from my, my heritage. He's a Swede. Easy. The answer to that question lies in his golf swing with one very specific motion. It's this motion that is, in many ways, the secret to a I played with uh, Ludwig in uh, the first two rounds of Bay Hill this year, and then I played with him the final round of John Deere when wow. he shot 63. And uh, he is very, very good. He's uh, got a lot of ability. Maybe. Does he have the appreciation of the fans as well? 
That's the key. That was the key to Palmer. Um, he was, uh, he had the human touch. He could have been president, I think. Yes, he could have. Yep. He, he had, he had the thing that retail politicians all long for and very few possess. Um, Hubert Humphrey had it, believe it or not. I, I met him when I was in high school. I interviewed him on a show. Uh, you could meet him and 15 years later, he'd bump into you at an airport and he'd remember your name. Arnie was like that. I, I, I've never met a more charming guy. My dad was a huge Palmer fan as I was growing up. So I, uh, like, like he did, I rooted for Palmer and we all kind of resented Nicholas's entrance. This yeah. big football looking guy from Ohio, um, who played sort of Germanically with, you know, without emotion because Arnie was so, he was such a, um, an open book, they actually had a deep abiding uh, respect and affection for each other, which both of them told me. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool that that survived down the years. I mean, that's the game needs that right now. The game needs another figure. And I've told this story before, but coming from the 18th green to the locker room, he signed every autograph Every, every until they were gone it wasn't like he kept walking until he got there until yeah. there was no one left and yeah. i stood with him while he was doing that he was just you know i've never i've never met anybody like him you would you would be it. able to you would be able to know that it was all genuine he, I was he absolutely, genuinely absolutely yep. loved people and um credited the fans with his success i mean he said i couldn't have done this without the support of the people who were behind me and i wanted to give back and Amazing man. And he told his his uh, compatriots at the time that they should have, have the same kind of appreciation for the fans. He didn't, like, tolerate guys who were not understanding of how important the fans were. Exactly. Well, that, that was the birth of the Pro Tour. I mean, his victory at the Masters really is what kicked it off. That was the first year it was televised. He captured the heart of golf fans around the world. Yeah, so uh, walking and, around with him and Arnie's army, and it yeah. really was. The, the, when was when he army. knocked the putt in, the, the, the noise was like you were in a, on the sidelines yeah. of a giant game. Tiger had a similar effect on his crowds, but he didn't like them. You know, he didn't right. like being, <laughs> was a different he didn't like being around yeah. them. He, right. Because he'd been, uh, he'd grown up in a, you know, in a fishbowl. They, they had a similar kind of effect on the game. Uh, that, I mean, that's why they all sort of belong on Mount Rushmore. Tiger was born a winner but with the urge yeah. to win. And he was programmed from birth to capitalize on that by both his mother and his father. Well, Palmer uh, wasn't programmed. Was, Palmer was no. told hit balls in the rough. Don't you dare hit practice balls in my fairway by Deacon. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. and uh, I don't know about Jack Nicholas. I think he grew up a little bit more cushy, if that's the right they word. They were a little more middle class, yeah. And Jack played other sports. You know, he was he was a football player. He he enjoyed. Uh, he was a good basketball player too. So golf was sort of a you know a, 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 it was a a game that unless you grew up a caddy or around a golf course or you were a member of a golf course, why would you play golf? You know, I mean, how would you have access to it? No. It's um, it, it it's a select few who can make it to the the top of that game. And I and I do worry about the future of where we're going with it. I think the the 
I am a bit of a traditionalist and the live golf thing has always rubbed me the wrong way. I just don't see how this resolves. The, the way kind of backdoor deal that ended it, I think still has a lot of questions about it that have to be answered. Get it away from that Saudi money that has just got so many question marks around it. I don't think we know the full extent of what went on with his gambling. Never know with anybody well, the full extent. Alan Shepnick, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. He published a big book about Phil recently. He thinks uh, you know, that Phil was in a pretty deep hole. Which um, is too bad because he's a very popular player and he had that kind of charisma and everything going for did. him. I, the time I spent with Phil, I really liked him. I just thought, you know, he's personable, funny, intelligent, playful. And he did have a common touch for people. I mean, a lot of people thought he was um, Eddie Haskell, you know, behind yeah. closed doors. This will this will crack you up. As we all do, you have a, fa a favorite foursome that you play with, right? And in the 90s into the 2000s, I, I did a lot of work with, uh, I mentioned him earlier, uh, the guy who, who'd known Dean Martin. Uh, his name was Larry Bresner. He was a partner. And his, uh, his partner in comedy management and producing is my best friend a guy named david steinberg oh, yeah. um, who is not david steinberg the canadian comic this is uh -huh. a guy who became the manager of robin williams and billy crystal and whoopi goldberg and uh, bet midler and a bunch of other people and was uh, a big part of robin's career for a long time i met these guys because i was hired to write the sequel to good morning vietnam at disney in the late 80s and we hit it off right away, and I got became friends with Robin. Um, and David is a great uh, a golfer, great fan of the sport. His nephew is Mark Steinberg, Tiger Woods fan. Tiger Woods, that's man. his agent. So we played together always, and we had a favorite foursome in the '90s into the early 2000s. Me, David, remember Tom Poston? Sure. Yeah. One yep. of my favorite actors, Great actor. maybe my favorite person that I've ever known in show business. We were very close friends. The funniest, sweetest, nicest guy in the world. And our fourth was uh, Super Dave, Bob Einstein, the comic, who is a, a, a was, he's no longer with us, a comic genius. His, Albert Brooks is his younger brother. Wow. He was a writer on the Smothers Brothers show, along with Steve Martin and George Carlin and the other David Steinberg. I mean, he he created the character of Super Dave, had that great show on Showtime. My favorite, my favorite foursome, th th these four guys, always hilarity, always laughs, always fun. David had just gotten a new one of the first titanium drivers <laughs> and um, he hit a shot and it just had this perfect sound. And Tom just went, oh my God, that's the it's like a like a diamond falling on a marble floor. And without a beat, Dave said, Mom, coming home on New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> we had a laugh at, at, at that quality at least once around. It was that kind of fun. Sounds like the foursome in uh, Larry David's show, you know. <laughs> well, Bob was in Larry. He played um, Marty Funkhauser on Pro. Yeah, Marty Funkhauser is the best. Mark, so we, we really appreciate this. Yeah. This is unbelievable. I hope we get a chance to have you back. Uh, yeah, I have a hundred more questions. Sure. You come to Winkford anytime. You know who to go to. I will. To. I'm on the East Coast a lot. How would you sure. defend if you said Bobby Jones 
It's a lot of debate. He's the greatest golfer of all time. He was the most important. I, I used the analogy in greatest in the greatest game that um, Francis was like John the Baptist, and Bobby arrived like our Lord and Savior in terms of what he did, how he elevated the game. But he had a game that would have lived in any era, and he played it in a tie. And he played it in a suit and tie with, for the most part, whippy shafts. As you know, the stress that he went under in these tournament weeks, he could lose up to 20 pounds in three days. The flesh melted off him like a, like a candle when he was in the heat of battle. In more ways than one, winning the Grand Slam nearly killed him. I think for all those reasons that he was never afraid of anybody, to come back and become the embodiment of everything that the game could be um, and the living exemplar of the game's values, which I think he um, he lived to the end of his life. And, and what he did for the game, keeping Augusta going during the Depression, starting the, the Masters, life or death, I think I'd want Bobby Jones playing for me wow. against anybody. Thanks for joining us today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please... Marky. Subscribe to the Two show and hit Claude the bell Harmon. icon so you get notified Movie classics. of new episodes. Mark Gable. Hit them hard job. and hit them off. That's 36 holes.